Salutations, all you creepy weirdos and lovers of all things strange. And welcome to our show, We're That Peculiar Couple. I'm Dylan. And I'm Shanda. And each week, join us as we cover subjects often peculiar in nature. So, this week, I did a lot of research on the Bloody Benders. Bloody Benders? Yep. So... Is that... Oh, okay. The time period was 1871 to around 1872, maybe into the 73. Uh, the location was Labette County, Kansas. Okay. So I, I guess it's not the the benders I was thinking about. What, like Futurama? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm sticking. I think I was thinking of the bends. Like when yeah. You, <laughs> nah, but there, you cannot get the bends in Kansas. So. so the family was made up of John Bender, which was the father, Elvera, the wife, John Jr., the son, and daughter Kate. While the Benders stated that John Jr. and Kate were siblings, contemporary newspapers of the time reported that several of the Benders' neighbors had stated that they claimed to be married, possibly common-law marriage. So, they don't really know if they were actually brother and sister. Hopefully they weren't, because if so, there's a little incest going on there. Well, I mean, Kansas, 1800s. So, the Benders were widely... widely believed to be German immigrants. No, doc- no documentation or definitive proof of their relationships to one another or where they were born has ever been found, though. John Bender Sr. was from either Germany or possibly the Netherlands. It's thought by some to... He is thought by some to have been born by the name John Flinkling... Flink... Ing- Flinkinger? John <laughs> Flinkinger. Oh. According to contemporary newspapers, Elvera was born Elmira Hill Mark. So here's a little bit of background about the time. In October 1870, around, I'm just going to start over. In October 1870, four to five families of spiritualist homesteaders settled in the township of Osage in northwestern Labette County. And I have no idea if that's how you actually pronounce that. One of the families located near the Great Osage Trail, which was, of course, John Jr. and John Sr. The women were still in Germany, possibly. They settled on 160 acres of land. After Bender and Son built a small cabin, a barn, a small corral, and a well, Elvira, Bender, and Kate arrived. They divided the small cabin into two rooms by a canvas wagon cover. The front, front room was converted into a small makeshift general store where a few dry goods were sold. The front section also contained a small kitchen and dining table where they encouraged travelers to stop for a meal and even spend the night. Elvira and Kate Bender also planted a two-acre vegetable garden and apple orchard north of the cabin. So that's a little bit of background. So Okay. So they're, what's you know, with the What's with the orchard? I mean, this is called the Bloody Benders. Yeah. So they're, you know, the motivated family, you know, it was during the um, Homesteaders Act. So they go over there, they get this big old piece of land. They're, you know, they're, sure. they're doing their thing, trying to make a little bit of money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Bender was said to be approximately 60 years old. He spoke little English, and when he did speak, it came out in a gruff old tone that most people didn't understand. Elvira Bender was around 55. She spoke a little English also and was dubbed the devil by the surrounding neighbors oh. due to her homely hospitality. Oh, that's fun. Yep. So she was pretty... She was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't <laughs> To very put nice. it plainly. Yep. Which is bad when you're trying to run a small hotel, I guess. But And also, don't don't forget the uh, the convenience store yep. that sold a few items. So John like, what Jr., are these few items? Oh, uh, it was like dry goods. Like, oh, so like flour. Yeah, like those gross biscuit things they used to eat back oh, then no, and stuff. Oh, no, not the biscuits. Those were just crackers. Yeah. <laughs> those are not biscuits. <laughs> so, John Jr. was 25. He did speak English with a heavy accent and was often seen laughing to himself. Some people thought that this was an indication that he was slow, but others thought that his laughter was actually to trick people into thinking that he was unintelligible. So Kate, she was the star of the family, you could say. She said she is said to be somewhat attractive and possessed psychic powers, which was a big pull for people uh, around the area, and that's how they made some of their money. Psychic powers, huh? So yeah. she like saw the future, or was it palm reading? Or? I think it was more palm reading. Uh, 
That's kind of what it seemed like. It didn't really like tarot cards, yeah, that kind of stuff. I don't think it was like crystal ball type crap, but yeah, I don't. I don't I, I've heard that the crystal ball doesn't have any uh, yeah. real like that. If you actually go to an actual fortune seer, that they will never have one of those. Yeah. But I don't know. I've never been to one because. My grandma told me if you ever touch tarot cards, you go straight to hell. So, yeah. so this, <laughs> I've yet to do that. This is an excerpt from a book. For those who knew them, it is written about them. The old man was repulsive, hideous, and a brute without a redeeming trait. He was dirty, profane, and very ill-tempered. Miss Bender was also a dirty old Dutch crone. Her face was a fit picture of the midnight hag that wove the spell murderous, of murderous ambition about the soul of Macbeth. Damn, well, they, uh, <laughs> when you paint her like that. <laughs> yeah, so like these were not very inviting people to begin with. It sounds kind of like they hated them. But I mean, was anybody <laughs> inviting back then? Everybody was just pretty grizzled back then, I feel like. Everybody well, kind of looked like beef jerky. Like <laughs> They were all pretty, like, you know, th- nobody looked nice back then. No. But some people said that the younger Bender reminded them of a grave-robbing hyena <laughs> because of his weird high-pitched laugh that he just walked around doing. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm this sorry. Is literally I'm sorry. A I, didn't, I didn't quite catch it that time. Could you do it one more time? <laughs> I, I don't know. So he, is that what you imagine he sounded like? Oh or? yeah. I mean, okay. there was no sound bites of the time. So. <laughs> no. Oh yeah, they didn't even have like a uh, sound in their picture yeah. shows, huh? So, Kate proclaimed herself responsible to no one, save herself. She professed to be a medium of spiritualism and delivered lectures on that very subject. In her lectures, she would publicly declare that murder might be a dictation for good, that in what the world might deem villainy, her soul might read bravery, nobility, and humanity. She advocated free love and denounced all social regulations for the promotion of purity and the prevention of carnality which she called miserable requirements of self-constituted society she maintained a carnal relation with her brother and boldly proclaimed her right to do so in the following words found in her lecture manuscript shall we confine ourselves to a single love and deny our natures the proper way even though it be a brother's passion for his own system sister i say it should not be smothered so these people are freaking weird wait like wait 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 what the fuck? Yeah, so I'm, I'm just, sorry. So she first of all, she starts this lecture with, "Hey, let's murder people. It's fine." And then she goes to, "Let's also fuck our siblings." Oh, I mean, it, as long as they love each other. <laughs> That's basically but, what she's like. As long as love's involved, it's good to go. But anyway, I'm just telling you all of this so you kind of have an idea what this family was about, how people see saw this family because it kind of goes into some different things. Yeah, um, I can kind of start to see where they're coming from. Yeah. And this is kind of a smaller town and like, I mean, obviously it's the 1800s. Yeah, like, there's not much going on. isn't seen as very... If you're, uh, if you're this crazy, everybody I mean, I knows. I feel like even feminism back then someone could denounce as like witchcraft. So like for her to be that out there with everything is kind of like yeah, how is people she not already burned have this stake? weird view of their family. Now, we'll go into the murders. Murders. Okay. All right. So, in the winter of 1872, George Newton Lanker and his infant daughter, Marianne, left Independence, Kansas to resettle in Iowa, never to be seen again. Uh Uh-oh. So, in 1873, Langhorne's... Former neighbor, Dr. William Henry York, went looking for them and questioned homesteaders along the trail. Dr. York reached Fort Scott and on March 9th began to return his return journey to Independence, but was never seen again. Oh, no, it's there's so, a there's a there's a theme. Yeah, here. so people are just disappearing along this uh, oh, route. Yeah. I'm thinking they're not stopping in and just Kansas. <laughs> the Benders family farm is right on this route. So, huh. Just bad luck. Yep. Dr. York had two brothers, Ed York and Colonel Alexander York, a Civil War veteran, lawyer and member of the Kansas City or Kansas State Senate. So on March 28th, 1873, Colonel York arrived at the Benders Inn with a Mr. Johnson, explaining to them that his brother had gone missing and asking if they had seen him. They admitted that York had in fact stayed with them and suggested that there might be a possibility that he had run into some trouble 
there were some Native Americans along in this area, and there had already been a little bit of instances where people had stolen some horses, and a little bit of vigilante, vigilante justice had taken uh, part around this area. Against so. the Natives? I mean, just in general. Yeah, it was just not a it good time. It was kind time. of a rough area. Well, it wasn't really a great time for either party no. either. They kind of hated each other. Rightfully so. But. Yeah. On April 3rd, Colonel York returned to the inn with armed men after being informed that a woman had fled from the inn after being threatened with knives by Elvera. Elvera allegedly could not understand English while the younger benders denied the claim. So they, the thing with that one was like, oh, we she just didn't understand. She was confused. She wasn't actually threatening her and all this crap. And it's like, all right. Right, okay. People are going missing around your farm. Then you're threatening people with knives, like, because you couldn't understand what they were saying to you. Yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> like, I mean, we live on an island right now, and there are plenty of people I don't understand. I don't just, like, point a knife at them every time they... I'm at the so, grocery store, and they talk to me, and I'm like, excuse me? I don't just be like, who I don't understand. At this time, York is like, knife hey, time. like, I know my brother was here. I want to know what happened. And... Brought up the woman, and Elvera was enraged. Said the woman was a snitch and had been cursing them and ordered the men to leave her house this instant, revealing for the first time a sense of English language that she actually had. That dumb bitch. Kate asked him to return alone the following Friday night, saying that she was clairvoyant and would help him find his brother if he came alone. The men with with York were convinced the Benders and a neighboring family, the Roaches, had to be guilty and wanted to hang them all. But York insisted the evidence must be found first. <laughs> so the other his men were like, "Let's freaking hang them! Let's do it!" Like, so yeah, these guys are ready to hang them high. I and just can't get over the fact that their last name was the Roaches. And you know, here's the thing about back way back, you got your name based on. What? How you lived? What you did? You think maybe they had a roach form? <laughs> I think maybe they was nasty. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I don't know like... though, because I feel like if you were nasty, you would like change that when you moved to America. Because most of these people in the area are kind of from like Germany and stuff. Yeah, it could be a language barrier too. <laughs> but... I don't know, but uh, I'm I'm starting to think. Uh... <laughs> so around the same time, neighboring communities began to make accusations. That the Osage community was responsible for many disappearances and a meeting was arranged by the township and Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. The meeting was attended by 75 locals, including Colonel York and John Bender, senior and junior. After discussing the disappearances, including that of William York, it was agreed that a search warrant would be obtained to search every homestead between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek. This included the Bender's farm. Despite York's strong suspicion regarding the Benders since his visit several weeks earlier, no one had watched them since then, and it was not noticed for several days that they had, in fact, fled. Uh, well. Three days after the township meeting, a man by the name of Billy Toll was driving cattle past the Bender property when he noticed the inn was abandoned. The door had opened. Couple some clothes kind of littered out in the yard. Some uh, there was a small burn pit with uh, oh. a couple of things, like a couple couple of personal items that had been oh, burned. So somebody out. left in a hurry, huh? Yeah, that's what it seems like. To- Toll reported this fact to the township trustees, but because of inclement weather, several days actually lapsed before the abandonment could be investigated. So at this time, after the weather cleared up, the trustees called on volunteers. Several hundred turned out to form a search party that included Colonel York. When the party arrived at the end, they found the cabin completely empty. All the food was gone. Some clothing was gone and personal possessions. And like I said, they actually investigated the burn pit and found out that some of their personal possessions had been burned too, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, like why why not just take them? It was at this time, it was noted that there was a rancid odor drifting up from a trap door underneath the bed. Oh, no. And it was in, it was nailed shut. After opening the trap and going into the empty room beneath, it was six feet deep and seven feet wide. It was found to have clotted blood and congealed matter on the floor. The store 
The stone slab floor, floor was broken up with sledgehammers, but no bodies were found. And it was determined that the smell was from the blood that had soaked into the soil and dyed the bricks red. Ew. The man then physically lifted the cabin and moved it to the side. So Wait, what? Underneath it. <laughs> oh, the men. I still, thought you said the man. I was yep. like, uh. And still who? no bodies were found. So oh. then they walked around and they started probing the ground. Because at the time they didn't have all these fancy like scanners and stuff nah, that they, they have, have now. No, there wasn't no forensics. Yep. So they, they started probing the ground with metal rods. Especially in disturbed soil areas where their vegetable garden and orchid was. Oh, no. So then they find Dr. York's body. Oh. In the orchid, buried face down with his feet barely below the surface. Oh, wow. They didn't even do a proper job. No, they freaking... He, I guess he might have been the last one that they got rid of. So they were just like, whatever. We'll just because they're gonna, they're like, they knew the town was probably coming after him, especially after John Bender Senior and Junior attended that meeting, and they were like, hey, it's time to go ahead and beat feet out of oh, here. Oh yeah, they were smart. Yeah, they were smart. They went to that. They figured out what the consensus was, yep. and uh... so the probing continued until around midnight. Another nine suspected grave sites were marked before the men were satisfied. They had found them all and retired for the night. Digging resumed the following morning. Around eight bodies at this time were found in seven of the nine suspected graves, while one was found in the well along with a number of random body parts. Ew. In the well? Yeah. So I'm guessing they weren't drinking this water then. No. Nah. There's all no but, way. Yeah, all but one had their heads bashed in with a hammer or something like a hammer and their throats slit. Oh. Yep. Some of them, and and so like some of the newspapers around the time were kind of like uh, the National, what, what is it, the Na- the National Enquirer. Oh yeah. So like, because uh, one of the newspapers went as far as to say that a lot of the men had their penises and testicles removed, and like there was all these like weird mutilations and stuff going on with them. But there's no proof. But no, it's there's no proof, and it it was only recorded in like one or two newspapers. So like, take that with a grain of salt. Strange though. Yeah. I mean, if it was, that's a whole different. As we like, as we kind of get to the end of this story, you'll kind of see there is a little bit of sensationalization going along around with this story. Oh, I can imagine there was nothing else going on. Yep. So, a Kansas City newspaper reported that the crowd was so intent and obsessed after finding the bodies that a friend of the benders named Brockman who was among the onlookers, was hanged from a beam, beam in the inn until he was unconscious, revived, and then he was interrogated and told that he would be hung again if he didn't tell them where they went. Oh, my God. Then they hung him again. And then they revived him again. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's then, having a hell of a day. And then they did it one more time, just for good measure. So, like, you know what? Oh, uh, yeah, because of the first the three times, he didn't tell yep. you. The, the fourth one, it's going to get it. You're going to get yep. the information then. And then in the newspaper, they were, it says they released him, and then he returned home as one who is drunken and deranged. <laughs> oh, he just got hung three times. What are you talking about? Yeah, he's drunken and deranged. I would be. That dude's freaking, he's been on the cusp of death three times that day, and he don't even know anything. I, yeah, my first stop's bar on the way home. <laughs> so a Roman Catholic prayer book was found in the house, and a note inside written in German, which was later translated reading... Jonah Bender, born July 30, 1848. John Gerhardt came to America on July 1st, 18, question mark, question mark. Then there was another note, Big Slaughter Day, January 8th. And then there was another one, Hell Departed. And that's all that they got out of the book. Huh. Word of the murders obviously spread quickly. Which was impressive for the time because, I mean, everything was just spread by yeah. word of mouth. Um, more than 3,000 people actually ended up coming to the scene. The Bender cabin was destroyed by souvenir hunters who literally took everything, including the bloodstained bricks from the cellar and the stones that were lining the well. Ew, why? Yep. Why do people do that? So It's like... Uh... At this time, the state senator, Alexander York, offered $1,000, which was $21,342 in this present time. Not bad. Reward for anyone that knew of where they went. Then on May 8, May 17th, the governor uh, 
Thomas Osborne offered $2,000, which is $42,000 in our time, for the apprehension of all four benders. Damn, it's kind of so, weird that uh, she, uh, the psychic just fell off the map, though. Isn't yeah. that how she made her living? I mean, I guess well, I mean, it's really not be that. a psychic somewhere else. Yeah, back then, change your name. Yeah. I feel like it was so easy back then to just murder somebody and just, like, dip. Because, like, they're <laughs> never going to find you. <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, huh, where could they have went? No one was connected You could literally just then. go anywhere. Yep. Yeah. Like, you've already been living it rough. It's not like today when you have all these connections with So, now we'll kind of go into the killing method. All right. because I was kind of interested in this part. Yeah. So, it's thought that the benders would, you know, obviously they would have, them, have travelers and stuff. They would try to entice them into the inn. Sure. They would offer them free supper and have them sit at the head of the table, which was positioned with its back against the wagon uh, cover that split the Mm. cabin in two. So what they would do is Kate would start enticing them with the whole, uh, I can see your future shebang. And while she would be doing that, John Bender or John John Bender Jr. or Sr. would stand behind and wait until the persons were caught off guard and they would just smash their head in with a hammer. And as they did that, Kate or Elvira would slit their throat to ensure that they bled out. And then at this time, they would roll them into the trap door that was located where the like at the foot of the bed. And so the bed was them, in the same room? Yeah. As the table? And then they would just let them sit. Well, the cabin was split just by the... Wagon wheel cover. So oh, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't that far. Yeah. Okay. And then they would just roll them into the trap door and let them sit down there and stew for a while. And they think that they were they were stripping them of all their money and stuff. And they think that's how they were actually making their money. But, like, back then, people would carry, like, a dollar, you know, yeah, like 15 just, cents. That's silly. I, I don't um, know. It's, it's very strange because it's like they weren't, like they weren't really getting anything out of it. Yeah. I guess they were just... A family of serial killers. And this is kind of substantiated a little bit with the testimony of a person. Um, I don't think his name was actually mentioned. Um, he claimed that he stayed at the Bender's Inn and he managed to escape before they could actually kill him. William Pickering said that when he refused to sit near the wagon cloth because of some peculiar stains on it, he was threatened by a knife with Kate by Kate, whereupon he fled. Also, a Catholic priest claimed to have seen one of the Bender men concealing a large hammer, at which point he became very uncomfortable and left quickly. Huh, as you do, yeah. <laughs> like, you just see this guy, sit, like, kind of leaning up against this, like, stained-up cloth, like, tucking a hammer into his belt loop, and it's just like, uh, you know, I'm getting kind of an uneasy feeling here. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I really could just <laughs> sleep outside And this guy that with says, the says the thing about the stains on the on the wagon cover, I'm like, these dudes couldn't even be bothered to cover up the blood from the last guy. Like, you think maybe he got there before they could cover it up, or they just didn't care? They were just like... Well, I mean, eh, blood doesn't whatever. stay red. Yeah. And the wagon cover was probably old and already stained. So I'm yeah. guessing that when the blood turned brown, they were just like, eh, whatever. But... I, I was just thinking about that, too, because if you slit somebody's throat after beating their head in, so much blood, so much blood everywhere, especially well, if you hit them with a hammer, blood spatter everywhere, yeah. like brain matter, we're talking, uh, yeah. so the cleanup alone would make me not want to do it, you know what I mean? Well, back then, they might have just rubbed some dirt over it, you know, like, because everything was covered in a layer of dirt anyway so i mean i guess it's possible but now we live in like these pristine like white walled houses but yeah. back then everything was like rough wood hewn and stuff so yeah but the, i don't know man there was another instance of two men who had traveled to the ex- to the end to experience kate bender's psychic powers and stayed on for dinner but they refused to sit at the table saying they preferred to eat their meal at the counter kate then became super abusive towards them and a short while later, the two Bender men emerged from behind the cloth with a look of frustration. At this point, the customers began to feel uneasy again and decided to leave. <laughs> so it's like they got unfa- they were like sitting behind the freaking curtain. Probably John Bender Jr. was probably back there, <laughs> like just freaking like man, I can't wait to kill this guy. And then they're like just sitting there like, well, this is freaking anticlimactic, and they just walk out from behind. Yeah, and you know, it. poor Kate was all into it because. Well, I mean, her brother, who she was fucking, yep. <laughs> was well, into it. Yep. So, I mean, she had to. She had to, even if she wasn't into it. Maybe that's why she did the whole speech about how well, murder's okay. Maybe she wasn't a murderer. Then comes the question, like, were they just doing it 
for the like to loot people or did they do it to loot people to begin with and they slowly began liking it or did they just like it to begin with in the first place and that was the whole reason for them building the cabin who knows maybe there were serial killers while they were in germany or the netherlands wherever they came from who knows you don't i mean it's, it was the 1800s it's <laughs> yeah, a crazy the, time and yeah, there wasn't really unless there was like a clear link yeah people just got away with it Another interesting thing, too, that was recorded, uh, more than a dozen bullet holes were found around the roof and sides of the cabin. The media speculated that this was probably because some of the people tried to fight. and Yeah, I mean, that's what I would you know, think. Probably yeah. going for the pistol from their belt. Like, yeah, they missed, unfortunately. It might be hard to hit a target if your head's already been bashed in with a hammer. Damn, impressive, though. Imagine your head's caved in. There you are with your pistol. A little six gun or six shooter. <laughs> you just shoot it at the ceiling because yeah. you don't know. Your brain's fucked. <laughs> so, a little bit on the escape. Detectives followed the wagon tracks uh, from around the cabin, found the bender's wagon abandoned with a starving team of horses with one main, one of the mains lame. I don't oh. know what that means. One, one of the, the One of the horses. One of the main slame. Isn't it all just dead, I guess? Lame doesn't mean dead. Anyway, lame means... So they found the Bender's Wagon 12 miles away. Probably a broken away. leg. It was 12 miles north of the inn. And confirmed it with uh, a couple of neighbors. They confirmed that it was their, actually their wagon. Uh, a couple people recorded saying that they had seen John Jr. and Kate leave by train. Headed south towards Texas. Um, they think maybe from there they traveled to outlaw to an outlaw colony thought to be in the border region between Texas and New Mexico. Um, Just like Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> the reason they weren't pursued when they got the information about them possibly being on the train was because many lawmen going into that area never came back. So they, the mm. risk versus reward there was, wasn't really good. So Yeah. One detective later claimed that he had chased them to a border in Texas where he found John Jr. dead. Ma and Paul Bender did not leave the train at Humboldt Station, but instead continued north to Kansas City, where it was believed they purchased tickets to maybe St. Louis, Missouri. Several gr- groups of vigilantes were found to, were formed to search for the Benders. Many stories say that one vigilante group actually caught the Benders, shot all of them but Kate, and then buried her alive. And this is all sensationalism. Um, I mean, because yeah. even back then, they had to make stuff interesting. So it's like a lot of these aren't really substantiated. It was kind of interesting, though, because like there's some people out there that think that the Benders didn't even kill anyone. They think that they were kind of set up, that it was almost one of those kind of witch hunt uh, instances. Because there was already some, like, I mean, there's already known criminals and stuff in the area. Yeah. And now, and some people actually wonder if maybe the benders were the people that were buried on their own property, because like some of the ways they identified the bodies was pretty arcane. <laughs> One of the bodies was identified because he had a bushy beard, and they're like, "Yep, that's got to be him. Dude's got a bushy beard." Um, huh. Another another body was identified by. A, his wife that had made a shirt. So I was like, okay, that, that one maybe. Cause I mean, the shirt w- was probably a pretty original piece of clothing. Um, yeah. So it was like, I don't know. It was pretty weird, man. And the fact that all these, the f- whole family just dissipated and like no one ever found them or anything. Maybe they split up. I mean, I imagine they did like if they actually did kill these people, I don't think they would stay together. Yeah. That wouldn't be smart. But the problem was, since there was that $2,000 reward, mm. people started calling in all kinds of crazy, like, oh, I got him, I killed him, like, bringing in, like, heads and be like, oh, this is so, this is John Bender, and, like, yeah. there was no way to prove anything, <laughs> so. Yeah. So, it's said that these, that the Benders may have claimed upwards of a dozen people. Uh, some newspapers were actually saying that there was up to 20 people because they were, like, including all the body parts and stuff that were found, too. Um, well, I mean, the body parts had to come from somewhere. Yeah. They don't just appear. Or maybe they do. Maybe that's why they ran. It wasn't because yeah. of the murders. It was because the body parts, they just kept appearing. They turned the site into, like, a memorial. You can okay. actually go see it now. 
Huh. Uh, they named it the Bender Mounds. Okay. Um, before the cabin was completely destroyed, there was a little bit of a search conducted, and there was three hammers. One a shoe hammer, one a claw hammer, and the other one was a small sledgehammer. Uh, they matched those with the indentations of the skulls. So that's kind of how an, another way they kind of substantiated the story of like they were bashing in their heads. The hammers were given to the Bender Museum in 1967 by the son of an Osage Township trustee who headed the small search that was conducted on the property. The hammers were displayed at the Bender Museum from 1976 to 1978. It's kind of wild that that's just... This town just latched onto it. Dude. Oh yeah, they it, they it were like a tourist attraction. They <laughs> yeah, generated yeah. money off of they it. They found some so. bodies out there. They're like, "This gonna make us some fucking money." Yep. The coroner's like, "You can't keep the bodies." And the people at the town there were was like, also Damn a it. knife with a four-inch tapered blade found, huh? Hidden in a mantle clock in the house. In 1923, it was donated to the Kansas Museum of History by York's wife, but never displayed. Still bearing reddish-brown stains on the blade. <gasps> It can, in fact, be seen upon request. So, if we're ever in Kansas, we're about to be requesting to see that. <laughs> I want to see that bender blade. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Get the Show bender it blade. To me. Show it to me. There's actually a historical marker describing the bender's crimes located in the area uh, north of, Sh- of Sherryville. Man, they were going to milk this pony for all it was worth. Yeah. So, in the, way, the reason I was saying it kind of had a little bit of a, um appearance in the Red Dead Redemption 2... Uh, characters Bray and Tammy Ardeen, who are allusions to John Jr. and Kate Bender. So, oh. Yep. Oh, okay. Oh. But yeah. that's about all I got to say about them. So my topic today is not quite as gloom and doom. I'm going to be talking about the history of dogs. <laughs> I think it's right. infinitely interesting. I work with dogs every day. So this was great for me. Some uh, of it I already knew, but I got to do lots of research on my favorite thing. So <laughs> here we go. Buckle in. <laughs> when and where? <laughs> Some 20,000 plus years ago, dogs and gray wolves split off from a now extinct ancient wolf. I don't, I couldn't find what it was called. I'm sure it's out there. But so what happened was basically for some reason they were all the same. But then gray wolves and a different species split off from that into two different directions. What, what caused the split? They don't know. Just by happenstance, uh, maybe? That's what we're getting into. It's unclear exactly why that this happened, but a lot of people think that it might have been more of a self-domestication that happened. So certain groups of the wolves started hanging out around human camps back when we were hunter-gatherers. Oh, maybe attracted by the smells and stuff. Yeah, kind of getting some food, you know. And it turned out to be more of like the dogs just kind of integrated themselves, which they would have been wolves then, but... And then pretty much self-domesticated themselves. By self-domesticated, so I'm not sure what you mean by that. So this would be like, self-domestication is different from like captured domestication because we capture horses. Right. And then we carefully breed horses and they are born wild for a very long time. So you're just saying that it just kind of happened without... us yeah i'm saying we didn't this is just a theory but i'm the theory is that the dogs wandered into these camps and people just kind of took a locking to them especially like the puppies i mean how could you not it's a puppy (laughs) they're they're so cute so they wander into camp there's puppies now the puppies are going to be more comfortable with humans yeah and i can imagine too that they would be helpful in finding food and i mean uh, probably at the time we weren't like hunting that specific animal i feel like uh, no, so we were not hunting wolves. They probably didn't really perceive us as much of a threat. Yeah. So some evidence to support this theory can be found simply by looking at the fact that there was a distinct split from dogs and wolves. Right. And scientists have further proven this hypothesis by performing genome comparisons and studies. 
Hmm. I know you don't want me to get too sciencey on it, but studies have found that dogs possess a certain friendly gene that may have helped them to get in good with our ancient hunter-gatherer ancestors. Modern dogs do not share much in common with modern wolves, but they have the same ancestor. Because, you know, you're always hearing, oh, dogs descended from the gray wolf. That's not true. Okay. The gray wolf is a dog's cousin. Right. Or brother. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Same family tree. Yes. They come from the same thing, but they are, they're split from that thing. Other studies showing the differences include puzzle games, pack games, memory games, and food games. In this instance of puzzle games, uh, dogs would look to their human for help almost immediately, whereas wolves attempt to solve it by themselves. They don't want human intervention at all. Right. They probably see us as some kind of weird weirdo. Even wolves in captivity. If you introduce them to these puzzles that are very difficult to figure out, they don't look to their hum- to the humans for help, but dogs do. Almost immediately. Okay. Dogs will play with it for a minute and then look to their humans for help. Like our dog, Moses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wolves in mazes have shown that they have excellent memory when it comes to remembering where food is kept in the maze. Whereas dogs don't know. They look in places (laughs) they've already looked. They miss places. Wolves don't do this. Wolves know where they've already looked and where the food will be. We should build a maze for Moses and see what he does. (laughs) Stand there. <laughs> He's not going to go <laughs> look looking at, for food. Look at the humans like... Why are you doing this? <laughs> anyway. Another study showed that when given a large amount of food, wolves shared it with the pack, whereas dogs did not. Oh, no. They'll eat until they <laughs> pop. So these are all differences with what we were talking about with the friendly gene right. that wolves do not possess. Only dogs. So now we get into the history of it. It is believed that dogs first originated in Asia some 20,000 to 40,000 years ago, which is a massive gap. Studying the genetic makeup of dogs leads us straight back to the Basenji, with its roots coming from Central Asia. Studying the genomes of of a 7,000-year-old and 4,700-year-old dog, obviously they're dead. So you're saying that's more like the Basenji is probably one of the first dog breeds. The Basenji is the first recorded dog breed. That's interesting because you know a lot of those long running breeds like that have a lot of serious problems but I don't feel like Basenjis really do. No, Basenjis are pretty healthy dogs. They're pretty sound. Uh, Yeah, so studying the genomes of 7,000 and 4,700 year old dogs shows distinct similarities with dogs of modern day. Some believe there was a single domestication event while others believe the domestication of dogs happened over time and in multiple events. So, like we were talking about earlier with dogs self-domesticating, some people think that it was just certain groups that did it, and then sometimes it would fade out, and then they would come back and fade out and come back. Instead of it being like a one-time ordeal, like once meeting and then it was constant. Those that believe it was a single event pose that a human or group may have killed a mother wolf and took the pups as pets, breeding them back to each other for only 10 generations, as We've talked about that That before. just kind of seems like a story that humans would come up with, yeah, though. Yeah, would have led know? to full domestication. Those that believe it was multiple events believe that humans and dogs may have had a relationship off and on throughout history, each time the dog gaining new evolution, evolutionary traits to help them survive along their human counterparts. Hmm. There is evidence to support this multiple event theory by looking at the earlier mentioned friendly gene and the break in fossil activity that yields no doggy evidence for quite some time. This is why the gap is so big between 20,000 years and 40,000 years because in the 30,000-year range, there's just not a lot going on as far as dog fossils and stuff like that. So that's why a lot of people support the um, self-domestication theory. Domestication in animals, all animals, but in dogs especially since they were our first domesticated animal, have an effect on the physical body. A study in Russia with foxes found that breeding the most biddable and friendly of foxes not only made the next generations of foxes more friendly and outgoing with humans, but also changed their physical appearances, making them more cute and likable to humans. That's weird. That's almost like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a self-serving trait. Because yes. like if they're the cuter they are, the more likely that humans are just going to give mm-hmm. in to everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just give them that's what, that's like uh, dogs have special... Um, muscles for their eyebrows and wolves do not (laughs) so that they can manipulate us (laughs) Hmm. 
It all began somewhere. Yeah. And now we fall victim to it every day. <laughs> every time Trudy looks at us with her ghastly blue eyes. Yeah. Or attempts to look at us. Looks in our direction. <laughs> looks in our direction. They believe that the uh, the same thing that happened to the foxes happened to prehistoric dogs and led to changes in the body, making them smaller, making them seem less dangerous, making them seem cuter. This is, uh, a lot of this would be shown with how they have floppy ears. Their ears changed from being upright and pointy and You know what this flopped. makes me think about? Do you think maybe even them getting rid of their musk was part of it? Because, like... Wolves have a musk, yeah. yeah. and it's not appealing to our nose. So, you think maybe that was even part of it? Probably. Hmm. I would assume. A lot Feel of things weird. would have changed when they started hanging out with humans. Because, why, why would it? And it? Like, we're right. completely different. And it's, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> <laughs> we both feed off of each other. <laughs> So, a well-preserved ancient dog skeleton shows similarities to the wolf, but is more like a husky in shape, with short with a shorter and thicker snout and a larger cranial structure than wolves of that time. So, it had a big old head and a shorter nose. Which we would deem as cute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the oldest known grave of a dog and its masters dates back to the Paleolithic era some 14,000 years ago. The puppy was about 28 weeks old and likely died of distemper. Evident by damage to its teeth, it probably got the virus around 19 weeks old and was cared after for weeks by its human counterparts until it passed away. Which shows a surprising amount of compassion from Paleolithic humans. Mm -hmm. And they made like, did they put like a grave marker and everything? They were buried with it. Oh, okay. I think they... Hmm. Yeah, so I'm guessing they buried the dog and then they buried themselves. Like, somebody buried them there, too, with the dog. Dang, that's like... Man, there's a lot of meaning there. There's a lot of these graves that pop up all the time. One of them was a boy and his dog, and they were uh, hugging each other. I'll I'll never forget that Hmm. one. What is the possibility that you would bury me with Moses? I mean, if y'all die (laughs) at the same time. We'll we'll carry him around for a while. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) And then we know, of course, dogs are used in war. Yeah. But did you know that they were used in warfare as early as 700 BC? I didn't know that. I knew there. I had seen pictures of them in the trenches, but I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. I know it is interesting because do you know where the, the Rottweiler came from? They bred it specifically for that. Is that what happened? No, they bred it a long time ago, and uh, warmongers used it to. It was not an aggressive dog breed. Oh, because the Rottweiler, wasn't it bred to kind of like pull for for butchers and stuff? I don't know about that, but they used it during warfare a lot to pull, to carry things because they are big and sturdy and they are scary looking. So just Mm -hmm. having them around would keep people off. That's what, because I I feel like I've read something about how butchers used them a lot back then. They did, yeah. But I mean, the Rottweiler was, I think they're originally bred to kill snakes Hmm. and stuff like that. I could be wrong there, but I think. And then uh, depictions of dogs with humans date back far into history, but we have no way to tell how old a cave painting is. Though it is expected some date back as far as 5000 BC, the depiction that I'm talking about shows dogs with curly tails resembling a Basenji or a Canaan dogs tethered to humans by ropes. You've seen that one. Yeah. It's very interesting yeah. because that was a long time ago. So to kind of wrap it up, dogs are the only animal outside of our species to hijack oxytocin, which is a hormone that we produce when we look at our loved ones. Hmm. Dogs also produce this when looking at us. And they have shown this. When they do brain studies of dogs, they do it in like MRIs so they can see the effects on the brain. They would introduce an item of their owners for the dog to smell. Because dog's eyesight is not great. Upon smelling it, the parts in their brain activated to to release oxytocin. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like we're talking about an animal. And if you introduce a random person's object, they don't do that. Hmm. Like the brain doesn't do that. They've done a lot of studies on dog's brains that are really interesting. Dogs have an entire portion of their brain dedicated just to humans. No other animal has this. Yeah, I I had read an article before about how like there's a part of their brain that lots up when we speak 
yes, they also have a portion of their brain dedicated to human language, and that's why programs that teach dogs to use buttons work. Which those, if you've never seen a video of that, look it up on YouTube. It's <laughs> trippy. Yeah, like, uh, and on Instagram, there's um, what about Bunny? I think is her name, and um. Hunger for words, of course. She started it all. It's so interesting because the dogs use the boards to talk and communicate. There's no reward other than being understood. We, we did it a little bit with our dog before she went blind, but all she ever wanted to say was want and play. <laughs> See, but I feel like that's because at first we thought maybe it was like, oh, she's not really getting it. I think maybe she was getting it. And she was like, this is what I want. Yeah, because sometimes she would say she would just press want over and over and yeah. over. Want, 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 want. And you're like, what do you want? And you'd see her think about it, and then she'd walk across the board to press play. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I did notice, too, sometimes when she wanted something that wasn't play, she would just press want and then, like, go to that object. Yeah. Like, if it was something that was under the TV stand. Well, she was definitely getting it. But... Yeah, but she went blonde. It's just too difficult for her now. Yeah. But, anyway, we do a lot of studies on dogs and their brains. Studying dogs' brains helps us to understand our own brains because of our formerly mentioned sim- symbiotic relationship. Dogs provide comfort, protection, and a friend to us. And in return, they receive care and food. It's a pretty simple relationship. Dogs show exceptional skills in understanding human facial expressions and other social cues. For instance, dogs monitor... Like, if you go out to PetSmart and you have a conversation with the cashier, the dog is understanding of the social interaction. So if this interaction is bad, the dog will not like that person. Whereas if this interaction is good, the dog is like, okay, you're cool. It's interesting that they do that. And we see it all the time here when we talk, Moses looks back and forth between us. (laughs) I was about to say, unless that dog's Trudy, and then Trudy just doesn't like anyone. Oh, Trudy just, she hates everyone all the time. She just can't help it. (laughs) She's in a league of her own. (laughs) She's she's special. Um, In some studies, dogs have even shown a preference for humans over other dogs. They've done studies where they had, like, a dog park type environment. And then they introduced a single human. Now, all the dogs that didn't belong to this human just kind of didn't care. But the dog that belonged to this human would abandon its friends to go back to its human, which is far different from wolves in every respect. Because wolves will choose wolves over humans every time. And that kind of wraps mine up. I thought the... uh, point, but interesting... The genealogy stuff is very interesting, but I won't go into it because I know people don't like that. <laughs> Some people do, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Because um, there are like certain ancient breeds that are always going to come up. And you know, dog DNA testing is becoming such a big thing with Embark and things like that. And they're becoming more and more accurate. But every dog is going to lead back. And almost all of them lead back to Basenji. Rat terriers especially. <laughs> It makes you wonder, though, if, like, are, are all dogs just, like, very narcissistic? Because if, if you think about, like, the way they've, like, changed themselves to entice us and to, like, they're, like, linked to us. It's like, mm. so are we living with this little dog that it's, like, do they, do they uh, are they attached or are they just narcissists? You got to kind of question that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I like know. to believe that they're attached, but also sometimes I feel like Moses is a little bit of a narcissist. I think, I don't know, man. I think they're pretty selfless. I mean. You think so? Yeah, because have you ever seen anybody walk into our house? Yeah. Trudy will straight lay her uh, life down. I mostly say that in jest. They are pretty selfless. Yeah. They, I mean, they have some characteristics of being manipulative, yeah. but it's only because we In case anyone here it. doesn't actually know us, Trudy <laughs> and Moses are our two rat terriers. <laughs> Uh, yes, they have people names. We know that. Everyone <laughs> likes to ask us why. Um, no particular reason. We just like those names. Very much, yeah. <laughs> but Our next dog will probably also have a human name. Probably. And will probably also be a rat terrier. And we're like those weird people, too. We just like talk to our dogs. Oh, yeah. Um, no. Most, most of the time, they don't answer back, but that's okay. <laughs> most of the time. Well, with the, with the buttons, sometimes... Yeah. I had a love you button and they never used it. I would press love you and they would just stare at it and then press snacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, narcissist. Uh, Maybe. Nah. God, look at him. 
our dog is just it's, just splayed out over there too because i feel like you know we the portion of humans that have dogs now is so high yeah and like i don't think a lot of people have really ever given much thought to like the fact that like it's an animal <laughs> like it's a it's an actually an animal and yeah. you just, it lives with you it it's always there like you cling to it when you know you're sad like it makes you happy when you enter the house and you have a, a dog there like it there's just things like mm-hmm. we all take for granted but like hearing about this is very it, it's it's interesting and i enjoyed yeah. it it was a good topic thank you i think it's i just think they're infinitely interesting i spend all of my time with dogs i train dogs i trained moses he's a service dog i trained trudy to use the buttons you know every day is dogs for me so when i get a chance to do something like this it's so exciting because i get to really pick apart history and genes and genetics and the friendly gene is interesting to me because that opens up an infinite possibility of how dogs became dogs you know like was it just one wolf that had this was it a group of wolves like what made this happen you know and it's just all of that came to be the dog on our couch you know (laughs) it's just great it's it's amazing i mean we could talk about cats too (laughs) but not not today Sorry, all, right. all the cat lovers out there. Oh, we we like cats, but I am severely allergic. Mm. <laughs> well, that's all we got for you this week. You can check out our Instagram at that peculiar couple, where we will post pictures if we have pictures here that we talk about, and just you know other general news about the podcast. And we hope that you enjoyed the peculiar stories we brought to you this week. Mm.